Here's another noise I discovered that I can't make. I gave you a pen. <laughs> you gave me a pen with nothing on it. Yes. The one noiseless pen. <laughs> Sean, why? I'm a fidgeter. Why do you want to ruin this podcast? Guten Tag, and welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name is Henry. That's right, listeners. Welcome to another spooktacular Halloween special episode of Zero Credits with me, John. See, the scary thing was you thought I wasn't going to mention Halloween at all. Were, were you not? I was not. <laughs> Good thing I did. Hey. What? Oh, it's that time of year, dear listeners, where the annual Zero Credits Scarathon takes place. Henry's uh, decked out to the nines, dressed as uh, just a ghost. It's a the ghost of John Benet Ramsey. I, I, you can project all you want, but I just literally have a white sheet over me. As you see, I've come in my traditional costume. A bathrobe. It's a bathrobe, but under the bathrobe, I have drawn onto my chest a scene of grisly murder. Yeah, it's, it's the entirety of the Revenant. It is. It's the whole Revenant. The whole Revenant. So uh, our costumes will probably change every 30 minutes or so, because we love Halloween so much, and we just we can't help but express our, our joy and our pride in our nation's greatest holiday. I, I don't want to stretch the fiction too much. John's making me do this. I mean... It's my favorite national holiday. And that means it's everyone's. And by national holiday, I mean October 31st is a national holiday in Singapore, but probably not for Halloween. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Halloween is not a national holiday, but damn it, it should be in this man's America. I think it should be just so that kids can trick-or-treat on the actual day instead of like, oh yeah, we're doing it on Saturday this week, this year. Yeah, just embrace the... ...side of the calendar with spooky scheduling conflicts. Hey, John. What's up? Ah, man, what a scary time to be alive. (laughs) Or dead. Oh! Considering your cultural beliefs... It would be a scary time to be... Well, wait. Yeah, it would be a scary time to be dead. Or would it be an awesome time to be dead? Because then you get to be a skeleton, a mummy, a revenant, a haint. You could just be a zombie, too, but that's kind of overplayed now, right? Yeah, especially now that The Walking Dead's back on the air. Yeah, I heard. Apparently, I had a conversation about it today. I haven't watched since the first season... And so it was just like, hey, what's going on in The Walking Dead? And they're like, people talking. Yeah. Um. So I'm a season behind on The Walking Dead, but I have seen it almost in its entirety, uh, which is a mistake. The Walking Dead is not a great show. It is enjoyable for what it is. But uh, my entire office spoiled the premiere of the new season to me. 
which was amazing. They were literally yelling the spoilers <laughs> at each other in no uncertain terms. Oh, wait, wait, was there a water cooler somewhere between them? Because then it's still water cooler time. There was no water cooler. It was unabashed. Also, there was no preamble. There was no, hey, did you watch The Walking Dead? Or, hey, what did you think of what happened on The Walking Dead? It was Dead? just... Jeffrey Dean Morgan killed a dude! Yeah, it was it was literally someone yelling, I can't believe they killed and I don't know. I just know Jeffrey Dean Morgan's in the show now. Yeah, he's Negan. I don't know what that means. He's Negan. That's his name? His name is Negan? His name is Negan. What's Negan? He's a bad guy. Have you ever heard of Negan? I have heard of Negan. Have you heard of the name Negan before the show? Uh, no. Is that a new zombie name? Yes, no. The, the zombies named him? It, it's actually, uh, it's kind of a Lord Voldemort situation. You can't say Negan? No, he used to have a different name, and then he changed the order of things. It used to be Negan. <laughs> <laughs> so he <laughs> N N E A G, I believe. Alright, I can see why he changed it to Negan. Yeah. He used to just be Neeg. Neeg. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not upset Neeg. Let's let's not talk about him anymore. But uh yeah, that's a that's a thing that's on TV. Yeah. There's a lot of television happening right now because it is fall. There's so much television happening. This is a good time to be watching television. And a good time to be watching television during Halloween, the spookiest holiday. You're right. Because every piece of hit television on television right now is spooky to the max. Yeah, they're having all their special Halloween episodes. There's a special Halloween episode of Westworld called Every Episode of Westworld because every episode of Westworld is fucking terrifying. Westworld is shaping to be a really fun romp through, I don't know, science fiction and human rights or AI rights. It is a kind of, it's kind of some of the most effective futurism I've seen on TV in a long, long time. And like the most effective futurism, yeah, it's pretty simplified in how it talks about the future and possible ramifications of these things. And maybe it's a little heavy-handed with like its uh, its literary illusions sometimes. Yeah. But overall, it, it conveys a message very clearly. When I can talk to my dad and he gets the kind of underlying deeply upsetting message of something that's dealing with like human rights and the rights of artificial intelligences and the the growing prevalence of ai it's succeeding i thought the underlying message was more about just the weirdly animalistic base needs of humans that we all suppress and then suddenly you can pay about hundred thousands of dollars worth of money to just throw all, all of your inhibitions out the window and start murdering anyone you want uh it uh jonathan nolan uh who is the writer and creator of the series and brother of christopher nolan is that right i have no idea i think so that'd be cool um he said that a huge influence for him in creating the series was the video game red dead redemption yeah and uh what what went into deciding that uh you know one of the the huge uh kind of Paul's cast over the show is the animalistic nature of people is it's influenced by our our desire to load up a Red Dead Redemption or a Grand Theft Auto 5 and just like kill things wantonly for no reason with with no respect for them 
for their virtual human life. And, you know, the the show maybe goes a little bit far in extending that out to if something was, like, physical and, you know, exceptionally well-programmed, we wouldn't mind killing it. But if something was there for us and we could do that, there's nothing guaranteeing that human beings wouldn't engage in that animalistic behavior. That was the most shocking part of watching this show to me. Well, I, I was just shocked by, like, this is a company that goes out of their way to make sure people could, for instance, rape if they wanted to. Mm -hmm. And that is was sickening and horrifying. Yeah, there's a there's a very specific kind of uh kind of feeling that this show conveys that just like bubbles in your stomach when you watch it. It's it's kind of sickening wearisome television in a way because you just you hope for uh these kind of hapless human beings who are part of it to kind of mean something more than just being these awful tourists these like sex and violence addicted tourists you have like the mainish character lyle mcpoyle <laughs> that's not his name uh, he just plays that character yeah. on a different show yeah no that's his name um <laughs> But no, he maybe has some some greater ambitions. But I overall, thought, I thought the main character was the scientist from the Hungry Hunger Game movies. Uh, the main character is actually Dolores. Oh, she's, sh she's the top build name. Oh, good. Yeah. Also, totally the main character of that show if you watch it carefully enough, which is amazing. If, you, if you've seen the first episode of that show, the idea of that character being the main character terrifying. Yeah. Uh, the the implications of that character. Whew. We're doing like a weird, not what did you watch, but just randomly discussed into Westworld. Oh, yeah, it's good television, you should watch it. Also, it's highly spooky. It's so scary. You know what else is spooky? The, the Lots of things. Uh, Luke Cage is spooky. Uh, okay. Imagine a world where a man named Cottonmouth, a snake man can just blow up Chinese restaurants. That was my biggest, weirdest moment of, wait, I'm acutely aware that I'm watching a comic book. It's spooky. Yeah. It's also spooky that a show can just let you down <laughs> yeah. so often. But it gets better from what I hear. I mean, I finished it. Mm. It's okay. Yeah. I mean, eventually they need to acknowledge the fact that these are not shows about superheroes but shows about one really conveniently placed nurse <laughs> actually nope yep daredevil checks out yep claire also she's in all three of these series and then luke cage she's like becomes a major character and uh real quick though a lot of people are like yeah this is the best marvel thing yet now daredevil season two <laughs> I'm still in the camp of, these all add up to one very adequate experience. Okay, so the Punisher part of Daredevil Season 2... Was okay. It was very good. It w it started really strong and ended very what? Okay, so it ended in a weird place. But up to and including the prison thing. Yeah, I mean, some of the greatest fights... Yeah, also some of the greatest court proceedings in like a in anything related to comic books, which I guess that's not a high bar. No. But still, Foggy Nelson. The law part of the Punisher thing was awesome. I thought, "Hey man, they might actually like pull this off." But instead, it just ends with just, well, if you haven't watched it yet, I mean, we this isn't even a supplemental <laughs> reading. We can't we yeah. can't talk spoil 
Okay. Why it's, are we talking about television? Because it's spooky. It's so scary. Oh, name one thing that's popular on television right now. Oh, I'm not really familiar with current shows. Westworld. That's HBO. That's, well, you're right, it's not television, it, it's HBO. Yeah. But BoJack Season 3? That's spooky. It's Netflix. Also, that's fine, that's television. Spooky I'll AF. say, okay, I do know a show that's on right now that I, I, I want to watch and I haven't watched yet. Atlanta. Atlanta. Okay. Probably not spooky. Probably not spooky. I've heard it's really good, though. Yeah. It's, w- it's on FX? It's either FX or FXX. I have no idea. I don't know what the difference is. Uh, One has one more X. Oh, also they run all of The Simpsons for, like, weeks at a time. They're about to do that again. I'm so excited, except I don't have cable. And the, they're not even, like, they're, they're extra cable. Oh, no. It's like a package that you get with, like, Discovery 2. No. And, and like... I don't want that. History 4. History 4. For alternate history. <laughs> but no, I guess Atlanta's not spooky. No. Walking Dead super spooky. You wonder are they gonna do anything? Spooky zombies. <laughs> There's zombies in The Walking Dead, are you sure? Not anymore. I thought it was all about how humanity just dies if you <laughs> continue a show too long. <laughs> that That's accurate. <laughs> Why do we keep knocking The Walking Dead? Because it's not good. That's fair, I suppose. I can't stop watching it. Oh, that's a problem. I've watched a lot. I... Probably like a hundred or so hours of it. I stopped after the first season because I was just bored. You're right. You were right to do that. I don't know. Well, anyway... That sounded close. That sounded spooky. (laughs) That was so spooky. You know what else is spooky? What? Uh, Wait, John, phrase that in a weird, almost segment-like way. Uh. (laughs) Thank you. Is that better? (laughs) That was great. Um, well, I want to acknowledge that last week we did a special episode, so we didn't get to talk about a major event in the world of big prizes. Oh, big prizes. When I say big prizes, I mean, like, important prizes. Oh, like a lottery prize. <laughs> like a, like a, a, a Nobel Prize in literature. Oh, that's the spookiest Nobel Prize. Sure, it's so scary. It's the single scariest prize. You know who won that? Yes. Who? Uh, Camus? <laughs> no. He did win the Nobel oh, Prize in Oh, I thought you meant recently. My bad. No, he's been dead for a long... Spooky. Okay. Spooky dead Camus. Well, the most recent winner of the Nobel Prize of Literature sparked some controversy, and I just kind of want to talk about it. Uh, can I make three guesses for who it was? Yes. Um, let's see. Big names in literature. Um... The guy who writes the new uh, episode descriptions in Netflix. Alright. Is that incorrect or correct? Okay, that's incorrect. But before you make your next guest, I'm going to inform you of of one thing about the prize. Alright. Like a big prize? (laughs) Like a big prize. Alright, so, uh, the prize usually goes... Or, how is this Sims even written? Awarded annually to an offer from any country who has, in the field of literature, the most outstanding work in an ideal direction. Okay. And that's translated, of course, from Swedish. Okay, so... So now make your second Work in an ideal direction. An ideal direction. Uh, and they have to be an author. And And they have to be from a country. Yes. 
Phew, that really narrows the field. Um, I'm gonna guess... I'm gonna guess that guy who wrote that really long fan fiction about Waluigi. Alright, that's a good second guess. It's, it's incorrect. Okay. Alright, here's the last little hint I'll give you. Okay. Oh, I gotta... So the vague wording for the criteria for the prize has led to recurrent controversy. Mm-hmm. And the original Swedish... Swedish? The world... The God can't read. The word idealist translates as either idealistic or ideal. So th this interpretation has varied over the years. In recent years, this means a kind of idealism champion champion championing mm -hmm. Jesus human rights on a broad scale. Wait, human rights? Yes. Translated from the original Swedish. Yes. Vague. Yes. Uh, recumbent controversy. Here we go. You're... Bob Dylan. Yes. Okay. Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize in Literature for his work. But he's a songer. Here's the thing. They gave it to him for his lyrics, as his lyrics, like the written word, is akin to poetry. Okay. So it's not about his performance. It's not about his music. Mm -hmm. It's about the message that his music has. And I guess if you wanted to be pedantic and say, oh, uh, how, if they're like meant to be sung, he has published books of his lyrics. Yes. He has real published books that are just his lyrics put to page as if prose or poetry. And so like, because he was a songwriter, because he performed his, his poetry, his lyrics, people got confused. They got mm. really got confused and a whole bunch of arguments kind of came out. People saying, oh, who, are we? you know, you start with Bob Dylan, that's a slippery slope. What are we going to do? We're going to give it to Kanye next? I mean, if Kanye deserves it. And that that's true, if Kanye deserves it. Mm. But the key thing is that it has to do with championing human rights. Mm. And Bob Dylan's protest period did a hell of a lot of that. Uh, Bob Dylan's done a lot of that throughout his career. I mean, say what you will about what he did to the New York folk scene. Destroyed it. Uh, but he uh, he's been fighting for human rights for a long time. Yeah, and the award says, like, you have to be outstanding. This isn't about quality, really. Mm. It's not about best. Mm. It's not even about good. It's more about, are you using your art for, like, a good reason? Mm. And Bob Dylan fits that criteria. I mean, I think some of the arguments, even if they're not saying, might come from a place of, uh, like, sanctifying an art form, maybe to a, to a place that isn't reasonable or responsible. Like how, uh, I don't know if this has changed to this day, but I don't believe that the Academy Awards nominate streaming television, like streaming movies. I think they might not. I, yeah. I know the Emmys have included Netflix shows. Mm -hmm. I don't know if... The, what are they called? The Academy Awards. The Oscars. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if the Oscars have started, because I don't know if, I think you still have to be at least in the 100 theaters by December. Mm -hmm. I think that's still a criteria for, for being nominated, mm. which is why they'll do limited releases for a lot of things. Like Beast of No Nation was a Netflix movie, but mm -hmm. they also released in like a, a hundred physical theaters to be able to be eligible for that uh, nomination. Okay. That being said, they still don't win because I think there's some bias. Yeah, it's it's sanctifying an art form. It's saying that the thing that we are accustomed to is the correct thing and delivering uh, a message in a medium that we are not comfortable with invalidates the message. I mean, if you think about it, these award people, these, these academies and these, these panels... 
they're just the ultimate form of gatekeeping because they're just deciding what is and what isn't their the art that they're looking for mm. but all this prestige around the awards kind of like it, it gives them a certain authority but it's all bullshit <laughs> it is because I, I think that being a gatekeeper of art is the most meaningless uh, description one could hope to have yeah because essentially if you're a gatekeeper of art you are by definition limiting the art that you've been appointed to be a keeper of I, I think it's cool that in 2016 the Nobel panel people I don't forget I don't know what they're called but they're they're broadening the definition of literature to include song lyrics that's awesome mm-hmm because because we we teach at the composition level the idea that everything is text. Mm-hmm. Movies are text. TV shows are text. The clothes you pick out are text mm-hmm. and can be interpreted as such. So if we're teaching that, it should be reflected in the, the real world. I mean, it, it's something that academically people get confused very rarely, but I think uh, like in boots on the ground daily life, a lot of people get text and media confused. Yeah. They, they get the message and the medium kind of conflated and they think that you know something isn't art if it's not a painting you know something isn't the written word if it's not in a book yeah you know something uh you can't have a message if it's not conveyed in the way that you anticipate that it will be but i mean let's take give me another nobel prize winner uh the only other one i know off the top of my head is alfred nobel okay (laughs) let's say his dynamite yeah Uh, let's say, I don't know, what's his name? Gabriel Mar- Maria Marquez. What's his name? Oh, Shit. Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. I was gonna say Marcia, but that didn't sound right. But let's say, I don't know, the things that he wrote were put to song. Does that invalidate them? No. I mean, since it's, the, the award goes for a body of work, some of the things that Gabriel Garcia Marquez wrote were articles, were news journals. He was a journalist first. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's kind of included in, in the literature prize, so even then they were broadening the scope. It's um, it's annoying as someone who is a, I don't even know if this is like a modernist or postmodernist approach. It's probably neither, but I'm kind of of the mind that everything is art. I like that. And I, I don't know why we have to have these strictures in place where we're like, oh, this isn't the kind of art that it should be to be awarded this prize. In, in a weird way, it feels kind of like the democratic soup super delegate system Mm. where it's like they want to promote the idea that anyone can produce art but at the same time they don't want everyone to produce art and if you're keeping people from producing art you're just reducing a medium you're you're reducing the thing that you're trying to champion i mean if it's just probability if you're trying to have fewer people out there making contributions to something that is that is good that you love that advances humanity as an empathetic species species like what are you doing everyone should be allowed to do that yeah and you shouldn't punish them by putting them in boxes being like you can't get this because of this because you're not what i expected or anticipated i mean i don't want to invoke godwin's law but you know what happened when hitler was kicked out of art school or like he couldn't make it as an artist he became hitler yeah he changed his name. It was like a Lord <laughs> Voldemort situation. Yeah. <laughs> he rearranged it from what it was where it was killed. <laughs> Wait, no. Hitler, Hitler, Hitler. Ridley. 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 Yeah, he yeah. was Ridley, the, the unknown artist. Mm-hmm. was denied the prestige because gatekeeping mm-hmm. and then he became Hitler. Yeah. 
That's how it happened. It's really, that's really 100% how it happened. What a spooky outcome. It is a spooky outcome. And how appropriate that we've now changed our costumes to a ghost painter. That's my costume. Are you Van Gogh or? Well, I'm just a sheet with holes cut into it, but now I'm holding one of those. What are they, what are they called? Uh, a pallet? A pallet? Or an easel? No. No, no, no. It's like, you always see it. It's like a piece of wood with holes yeah, in it. that's a pallet, I think. A pastel? A pallet. A pastel. No, I think it's a pallet. <laughs> it's... Which one of us went to art school for three years in Germany in the 30s? <laughs> Me. Okay. Well, I got one of those in a brush. Oh, so... Oh, I get it. Yeah. And a beret, I see. Well, yeah, of course. I'm an artist, not a hack. And uh, I've changed my costume into the costume that I... You might get sick of it. I trot it out every year, but it's uh, it's a bat that only speaks in uh, the form of Burma shave billboards from the 20s and 30s. Yeah. And... Here's a little example. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, here's one. Okay. Here's one. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm a bat. I live in a cave. There's lots of us Burma shave. All right. I, you, every year you, you trot this out. Of every, this... every single year. Like I said, you might get tired of it. I'm exhausted. But the next one, brand new. All right. Well, in 30 minutes, we'll, we'll update you on that. So in 30 minutes, costume update. I know we jumped the gun a little bit on this one. We just got excited. Oh, yeah. Well, I rounded up from... <laughs> we got like five minutes till 30. Oh, yeah. No, it's fine. It just... It's emblematic of how much we love... The spooky season of Halloween. Plus, I wanted to end cap the discussion on Bob Dylan and just say, you know, well, we changed costumes. But I want to, you know, just wrap up that conversation and just say, hey, you know, it's cool. And hey, maybe Kanye might get a, a Nobel Prize for Literature. Maybe he deserves one. I mean, if back to what you were saying earlier, the slippery slope argument, never a good one. Yeah, no. What it, group has made the slippery slope argument in the past and had it mean something good or worthwhile? Usually it just means something racist. Slippery slope was the domino effect with communism, which led to the Vietnam now more uh slippery slope kept gay marriage out of the legislation for years and years what fuck off i said racist i meant discriminatory yeah because it's so racist it well it always boils down to like oh what are we gonna give the award to a chicken next and it's like well no we would never do that unless that chicken happened to write the next american great novel <laughs> yeah, or something we're, we're gonna give it to the chicken if the chicken fucking deserves it yeah it, it's we're not arbitrarily saying okay now we're lowering the standards mm -hmm. Uh, or just We're saying, picking a different area. It's just saying we had standards and this person rose to meet them. And we are rewarding them as such. If it was a sport, everyone would be chanting USA and no one would be discussing it. Mm -hmm. But because it's literature and this is like the first Nobel Prize in literature America has won in a really long time, everyone has to talk about it. My mom's calling. Sounds like we should take a break. Uh, I guess. Let's take a break for that mom. Hi, mom. And shivers down your spine Shrieking skulls will shock your soul Seal your doom tonight Spooky, scary skeletons Speak with such a screech You'll shake and shudder in surprise When you hear these zombies shriek We're so sorry, skeletons You're so misunderstood You only want to socialize But I don't think we should A spooky, scary skeleton Shouts startling, shrilly screams They'll sneak under sarcophagus 
and just won't leave you be. All right, everything's fine. Everything's 100% perfect. Everything's good. Don't worry about the phone call. Spooky phone call. It was a haunted phone call. Maybe the spookiest phone call to receive is a call from your parents when you aren't expecting it. Especially when you're in the middle of a podcast and you're not sure whether or not you can answer it on the podcast or not. God, it's a spooky time to be alive. Yeah. So, uh, what are you doing? I'm uh, thinking about all the times I wished my parents had called me, like, in the middle of, like, a lecture, like, as a student. I'm like, oh, I gotta take this. So I could be, like, you know, get up and excuse myself and then hear, like, devastating news and I have to go back in the room and, like, get my bag and, you know. But have... not actually hear devastating news. Well, yeah, well, no, I always imagined it would be devastating news and I would just, like, break down in the class. I don't, I like to imagine morbid things for some reason. <laughs> the, uh, the fastest way to get up anything is to pick up a phone and be like oh it's my mom or oh it's my girlfriend someone close to you you go and you take it and you come back and you're just kind of quiet and you're like i have to go yeah everyone will let you go no one's gonna be like no you stay here <laughs> it's a, like i always imagined like i you know i answer the phone in front of somebody you know wait an appropriate beat so like they have you know i've heard a sentence and just go oh i have to go <laughs> and they just hang up in front of them yeah yep <laughs> no one would stop you. No one would stop you from leaving. Alternatively, do that and go, oh, for the proletariat. <laughs> <laughs> what if you're like, it's my mom. You pick it up and you're like, oh, you have to go. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where do I have to go? No, I mean like, take out a gun. It's time. <laughs> you have to go. Oh, man. Uh, good times with scary phone calls. I, phone calls fill me with such, like, weird, dreadful anticipation. Mm. Because, like, if I have, if we have a text about you calling me, and it's just out of the blue, my mind immediately leaps to, the house has burned down and taken my family <laughs> with it. The only remaining thing was a phone that a stranger noticed that said, son, and so they called. Yep. <laughs> It's, there's, there's a very specific thing about phone calls, and I think I have almost full-blown, like, telephonophobia. Yeah. And I have a job where I have to answer the phone and communicate with people on the phone almost constantly. Yeah. It sucks. No, no, I, like, I, I've always been discomforted by disembodied voices. Mm -hmm. So, like, uh, drive-throughs, phones, speaker boxes, what have you, have always filled me with this weird kind of dread thing. Wait, let me do something spooky. That's like a that's a drive through. We're supposed to scare them, not me. Okay, I'll point at the microphone. We're all. You want a Dr Pepper? <laughs> Wait, are you asking me if we have Dr Pepper? Give me Dr Pepper. I want a Dr Pepper. What if what if the person on the other end of the speaker box started asking you for things? <laughs> like you pull up and like, can I have a six piece chicken McNugget? <laughs> I don't know. I just want a soda. I want my chicken McNuggets. What are you doing? I, can I get three sodas? <laughs> no, but uh, I, I've been in positions where I've had to answer the phone for a job, and it's it's the worst, but add, like, a hearing kind of problem on top of that, mm. and a public, not a public relations, and a customer service role, and I was terrified. Yep. There were a few times when I was working at a... Uh, a book store, mm -hmm. 
and uh, I picked up the I, like I took calls and I could not understand the person on the other end. Yep. And I had to keep saying, "I'm sorry, ma'am. Could you repeat that?" Mm. Until they hung up. I uh, there there have been moments where I pick up a phone and someone will be like incomprehensible. Hello. Oh, that's alone. All right. So at this point, I wait like three beats. And I just hang up. <laughs> oh, really? Because, like, if I know that I have no hope of it, like, the connection is just so bad, I just can't understand it. It's like, if I hang up now, they'll think the call was dropped or think there was some kind of error. And then yeah. if they call back, I'll be like, you know, what was that? Yeah. But, God. No, th- like, the one thing I couldn't get the management to understand at this bookstore was, no, I legitimately, like, my range of hearing is messed up and phones, like, I, it's really hit or miss. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you just don't want to answer the phone. I'm like, no, I literally can't hear these people. <laughs> I have a disability. <laughs> um, I was talking to someone about uh, texting versus phone calls. And I love texting. I love texting to death. Because texting is communication at your own pace. Oh, yes. Uh, you can... I think that texting is, like, one of the most beautiful ways to communicate. I legitimately do, because, like, texting, you can, like, stoke fires in texting, and you can think of things, and look things up, and you can have this these higher-level kind of missives with people, and you can have great days-long conversations with people because you're doing it at your own pace. It's really fulfilling. Yeah. And... The person I was talking to was in the camp of, you know, a phone call is just like a conversation. Why is it any different? I think it's different because I don't generally start conversations by walking up to someone who is doing something and going, ah, 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 until they pay attention to me. (laughs) Well, that's a good way to not do that. Yeah, because like... A phone call is disruptive. It's annoying. No one... They can't tell. They're not looking at you. They can't tell. Now is a good time to talk. It's just like, I guess I'll impose myself on this person. Uh, Yeah. That's that's really, like... I'd never thought about a, a ringing phone as that before. Like, you're basically kind of like poking someone in the ear until they they listen to you it's annoying because they can't know if you're busy they're just putting a feeler out there but it's a loud annoying feeler uh pivoting slightly when you're on a phone call do you pace uh i have to move or do something because it makes me nervous well also i've learned something about communication because mm-hmm. uh, I, I pace and I wanted to look up why do I pace when I'm on the phone? Why can't I be still? Mm-hmm. And uh, there's some theories out there that so much of our communication is with our hands and our gestures and like facial movements. Mm-hmm. Communication is really physical. And uh, when you're on the phone, all of that is gone. Yep. So your body to kind of like make up for the fact that you can't gesture for meaning or you can't interpret someone's face... Mm-hmm. kind of puts you on edge mm-hmm. and makes you pace. Phone calls are phone calls go against human nature. Phone calls are garbage. Yeah. And when I first got a cell phone that had texting capability, I was like, I'm not going to be one of those people who texts. I'm going to call. I'm going to call just like my forefathers did because that's the only true form of communication. Fuck phone calls. You know what's worse than phone calls? Voicemails. I, I, I like voicemails to a degree. The looking at your phone and seeing that you have a myth, multiple missed calls and multiple voicemails. Okay, 
that that that's a different thing because multiple is different. But I do get a little annoyed when I have a missed call from someone I know mm-hmm. and there's no message. Yeah, and I'm just kind of staring at my phone, and I get this is a little irrational because I like it's a, a it's an anger spike. Look at my phone. I'm just like, what do you want? Yeah, like why? Why? If you wanted something, you would have told me yeah. in a message. Don't put it the onus on me to get in contact with you mm-hmm. for your need. Worse than that is the message that says, hey, we need to talk or like, I want to talk with you. Get back to me. Yep. No. Pointless. No. You you were given an avenue to communicate a message and you chose not to. You gave me an announcement of an announcement. You didn't yep. tell me what the announcement was about. And if you have, like, a voicemail from a number you don't recognize, ooh, well, terrify. It can go, it can go one of two ways. Either they know you and they want to give you news or an opportunity or something, mm-hmm. or just wrong number. Yep, and that's, it's usually wrong number. Wait, I do have a voicemail that I, if, if it's possible, you would I, like to play I, on the podcast? I want to play this on the podcast. I am okay with this. Let me see if I can find it. Also, worst kind of voicemails, you have like two or three missed calls from a number you don't recognize. If they left you a voicemail, you listen to the voicemail, it's like, uh, first, unheard message, and then it's like a rustle and a click, and it's over. It's like, oh, it's just because it went into the tone and they were still hanging up. Yeah. Oh. All right. Let's see if I can get this to play. Speaker phone or whatever. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I can do that. How do you speakerphone a, uh, a, a voicemail? Wait, just play it. Hold on, maybe that'll work. Goodbye. <laughs> oh, that, that was nine, eight seconds of silence. <laughs> With one really weird voice going, goodbye. What? I thought I was dying. (laughs) That is is a weirdly accented voice just saying, goodbye. Like, if I wasn't in the windowless room when I was listening to it, I I swore I was going to get sniped. Oh, that's a, you know, spooky. That's spooky as hell. Very spooky. Oh, man. What if I create a business? Not a business, more of a hobby. Where I call random numbers and hope they ring to voicemail. If they ring to voicemail, silence. And then I just say something cryptic. But what if you did that? Okay, something cryptic, but like vaguely positive messages. (laughs) Like, you look nice today. But then that's still creepy. Or like slightly vaguer. Because (laughs) it's like eight seconds of silence. Then I'm like, it's gonna work. (laughs) (laughs) When you said vaguer, I immediately thought... You look today. <laughs> you you look you have an appearance. You appear today. No, uh, but to weirdly pivot back to the text message thing, how you said that it was a really great invention. Mm-hmm. I agree, except for the fact that they keep adding features on to show your message was seen. They're typing a response. It's like if I wanted this instantaneous thing, I'd go back to AOL Instant Messenger. Or I'd call them. Yep. I've learned to love the scene. Okay. And it's taken me a long time because I thought that that was like crazy invasive. But I think that making, at least for making me like, uh, culpable for responding to someone who took the time out to send me a message. Like, I think that I need to be able to communicate, hey, I've seen this and that's it. 
But, like, showing, hey, you're writing a message. You've been writing a message for this long. You're looking for a fucking emoji. No, I don't want that. Yeah. I guess the scene does, like, it eliminates the K. Yeah. The K scent, you Mm -hmm. know. And scene can mean so much. Like, so much about text messaging is basically forcing language to evolve. Like, the period has a totally different meaning now. Well, you're of the camp that things soon with a period have, like, an attitude with them, right? Yes, I think that a period says a lot. It doesn't. I think a letter of the law, period, has nothing attached to it. But I feel like people have begun to read into a period as being kind of curt. Yeah. Uh, being kind of uh, cold. The beginnings of, like, a simmering anger. Because, you know, if, let's say, uh, you have a significant other... And you text the significant other something that wouldn't necessarily make them happy. Yeah. And if they were like, well, both of these are kind of cold. But if they were like, that's cool, that's fine. Okay. If they're like, that's cool, period. It seems like a specific amount of effort was put in to adding finality to saying, that's cool. I mean, I always punctuate correctly. Yeah, that's fine. It's not your fault. Except- it's just that it's just that language is evolving without you. I either, like, I either punctuate correctly or punctuate with a smiley face. <laughs> yeah, I I can't do smiley faces. My roommate does nothing but smiley faces at the end of text. I'm like, ah, uh, you're too, you're too nice. <laughs> okay, so I'm just going to read a little bit of this conversation I had with my girlfriend about the fact that I bought eggs today. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how to cook eggs. I'm learning to cook eggs. <laughs> Shut up. That's fine. So I bought a whisk and I wanted to know... A whisk is an egg beater, right? Because I bought a whisk. Mm-hmm. But further on, she was like, yeah, a whisk is fancier. You can use it for other things. So I was like, now I gotta find things that need whisks. And she sent back fancy sauce with a period. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there is a finality. There's a there's a definitiveness. That, that wasn't a suggestion. That was a demand, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I need to now go find fancy sauces. Because if, if it was open at the end, it would be like, fancy sauce. But with a period, it's like, fancy sauce. That is the answer to your question. <laughs> yeah, you put in a query, the answer is fancy sauce. <laughs> Just gonna make a note of something. Okay. I I find that I am a pretty big culprit of maybe leaving messages that have too much open to interpretation where maybe a period would help. Yeah. Because I'm a, I don't know, I'm an irreverent weirdo when people text me. I, I try not to be. Yeah. But sometimes people will text me things and instead of being like, okay, or I understand, I'm like, cool, 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 cool. And maybe it's, maybe it's one too many cools, but people are like, are you mad at me? I'm like, no. (laughs) My favorite thing to do is when they ask a question, send back just, sure. Oh no. Because it's an affirmative word. Yeah. But it has such a negative connotation (laughs) Mm -hmm. that it's just like, wait, do they mean that? Uh, my favorite, uh, kind of, uh, like, text, uh, parsing of words that should effectively mean the same thing, uh, is no and nope. Because <laughs> nope is more of a joyful, playful yeah. thing, right? No is like, nope is like, I'm saying no, but I'm happy about it. Yeah. Like, if someone's like, uh, you know, are you gonna be here tonight? I'm like, nope. <laughs> i'm not gonna be there and i'm proud oh there's there's because you can't read tone in the words your word choice says a lot 
for you. And, and that's maybe the greatest pitfall of text messaging, is text messaging is 100% a narrative in your own head. Yeah. Because you can you can be texting with someone and you can completely pick up on flirting that doesn't exist. It's entirely a reflection of how you feel. And a great example of this is, let's say you're in a position, and I've been in this position a few times, where you hold maybe negative feelings about someone, not over something huge, but you're just feeling like a little bit of like passive frustration or anger with someone. And they send you something very well-meaning. Yeah. Or just neutral. But it is phrased in such a way that when you read it back in your mind's version of their voice, it is a, a snide indictment of your way of life. And then you have to be like, well, fuck you. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> Get out. Another downfall about texting is, you know, it's always there to go back so you can see exactly what they said. And then you're, you're doing close reading and you're picking it apart. And like, I didn't, they're pissed at me. I'm going to be pissed back. Yeah, you can make it into... It, absolutely exactly what you want it to be. Yeah. I, I was in a position uh, in a Facebook group chat that we are both members of when someone said something and I was holding some amount of passive hostility. I was like, motherfucker. And then I cooled down for 15 minutes. I was like, that is ridiculous. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I was in that group chat. I know what you're talking about. And when I read it, I kind of was just like, okay, it, it, we're... we're, we're and a group full of comedians. Mm -hmm. This is this is busting of chops. This this is not hostility, right? Yeah. <laughs> because it's not. It's it's one hundred percent not. But it's it's so easy to like read into things. And be like, God damn it, <laughs> shit! Better sharpen my knife. And then like you can fly off the handle and like throw your phone across the room, or you can just calm down and just read it again later and be like, oh, who who cares? Or just send it a gif of a ghost. Yeah, send more, send more ghost gifs. Yeah. Joasts. Joasts. Hot joasts. I think if we knew back in the past that texting was gonna be a thing, there would have been more clout for the, uh, there was gonna be a special punctuation for sarcastic speech. Mm. And that it's italicized but in the opposite direction. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. And people, you know, dismissed it at the time because there wasn't really a need for it. You could read into the words and stuff. But texting kind of, and like the, the weird condensing that we've done, the truncating of words that we have done, mm. have eliminated so much in tone that I feel like we kind of need that punctuation yeah. for sarcasm back. I feel like, I feel like texting has eventually, has effectively killed the neutral mental voice. I feel like that is a skill that people used to have and they would read things and they'd read them objectively and then base them, like, judge them against context. That's gone. Yeah. Texting is now everything you read has an intent that is equal parts you as the other person. So you you can't read anything neutrally anymore. We need interrobangs. We need other ways italicization. Italicization? Yeah, italicization. And if language is constantly evolving, then the way that we treat language, the, the weird syntactic rules and, and punctuation rules, should adapt with it, I would think. Mm -hmm. You would imagine. Just as long as, you know, maybe there could be some gatekeeping there. I don't want the definition of lose to add an O to the spelling just because everyone misuses it. Mm -hmm. I don't get that one. <laughs> I mean, it's 
you have to you have to split a difference when you're evolving a language where you have to let the language like keep its keep its identity without becoming phonetic garbage. Yeah. Because everyone not everyone a lot of people who um kind of champion the evolution of language that was championed in the direction of in phonetics yeah you know they they want it to become this like you know peak chapter in cloud atlas kind of phonetic garbage speak but that's never what language is going to become because it's always going to be its own thing and keep its identity it's just going to change its identity like english i think is always going to be this like sharp germanic math language not math language anti-math language it's an emotion language it's an emotional that language. is really bad at communicating its emotions yes much like the people i mean it's not our fault that we boiled emotions down to one word each yeah we have love, which is a word that conveys so much, you know, definition-wise. You can love dogs and pizza and people and concepts, but they're all different types of love, and then you attach different words to it. Mm -hmm. But English is just like, no, yeah, one word is fine. I mean, consider how many words English has for how something smells. Is it just smelly or pleasant? I mean, you could say something smells bad... What? What does that mean? <laughs> Describe that scent. It's bad. Because all the words we have for, like, things like that are how we taste things. So we say things smell sweet or smell sour. But it's a totally different sensation. You're describing a taste, but you're also describing a scent. Yeah, and garbage can smell sweet, but it doesn't taste sweet. Are you sure? I haven't tried. You should try the garbage. I should I should eat uh, an eclair out of some garbage. Oh, what a classic reference to Seinfeld. The spookiest show on television. Speaking of spooky... What's up? I, am I jumping the gun, but I've changed my costume. You know, we just love the season so much that we, we change costumes again. Now I'm the ghost of George Costanza. I've ditched... The, the palette and the brush, and I've just adorned some glasses. And your sheet is actually one size too small to make you look dorky. And it's kind of, I, I can't, I don't know if you can tell, but around my, my scalp, I've kind of just trimmed the sheet so it looks like I'm losing my ghost hair. You have ghost male pattern baldness. I like yeah. That. Uh, and I, in in keeping with the theme of texting versus calling, am now the spookiest character in primetime television, Mr. Robot. Nice. I like the way you're bugging your eyes out. I, I'm uh, Mr. Robot. Would you... Here, I have a, a briefcase full of bitcoins. Nice. And then I have a piece of paper that says, I crashed the world economy. Cool. <laughs> Physical bitcoins. And yeah, they're little... They're doubloons. And a written confession. Yeah, that's that's pretty much... That's it. Wow. That's and I also have a jacket that says, I am Mr. Robot. That's not conspicuous. It's not, not whatsoever. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so, costume change out of the way. Yeah. I think now we should talk about the, uh, the ultimate or maybe penultimate topic of this podcast. Ooh, second to last, possibly. Or last. Or last. We don't know. Why are horror movies so bad? That is a great question. It's something that I've been thinking because I've been watching a lot of them. It, it's true that, like, 
the horror genre seems to have the most amount of entries in it. It's like the single... Okay, I went to a very small film festival relatively recently, and far and away, the most well-represented genre is horror. Yeah. Most people want to make a horror movie. I, I wonder why that is, because the truth of it is there's so many, but so few are done well. Mm-hmm. It's, and maybe it's just because there's so many that seems like so few are done well, but I mean, when you have people making hundreds and hundreds of horror movies every year, it's really hard to get something out there that conveys its message in a way that's effective and innovative. And it seems like people judge horror movies more harshly than others because horror movies have to be both a roller coaster and a thesis. Yeah. They, they have to deliver an experience that's, like, chilling, but they also have to deliver a message that, like, you take away, like, that's, that's novel. I, I think part of the problem, I'm gonna draw an, an uh, ooh, I'm gonna draw an analogy to comedy, mm. where you can evaluate a, co- a comedic movie based on whether or not you laughed. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens to horror, where you can evaluate it on whether or not you were scared. Mm-hmm. So, like, if the movie fails to scare you, people walk out of it thinking, well, that wasn't a good movie. And that's, it's such a, it's such a tough balance because I watched a movie not too long ago called The Boy. The Boy. It's about a doll, living doll. No, I hate it. I, uh, I watched it. Did not scare me once. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not proud of the fact that I'm pretty much, uh, like, inculcated to horror movies. Like, they don't scare me, by and large, because I spent most of my early, uh, adolescence watching nothing but horror movies. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of horror movies, and that's not something I'm particularly proud of, I just had an affinity for them. Yeah. And... Uh, did not get scared by the boy, did not think it was a particularly frightening movie in really any sense, but the cinematography was good, the performances were good, I thought the script was good, and there's a thing that happens at the end that was genuinely very surprising and novel. And I saw that and I was like, I don't know if I like this movie. It's like, if I had applied that criteria to any other movie, it would be at least above average. Yeah. But with the boy, because I wasn't scared, because it didn't make me feel horror, I was like, that's eh, okay, I guess. Yeah, it's weird, because, like, going back through my past, I'm one who gets scared in horror movies to to a debilitating point, mm. um, but I've seen my fair share of really bad ones. Mm-hmm. The Messengers, yep. Hide and Seek. Yep. Uh, well, I think in retrospect, The Ring would probably be considered one that was really bad, but that literally scared the hell out of me. Yeah, The Ring is, uh, Ring is, oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's like, there, there's at least four or five entries in the horror genre every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's major ones. Yeah. And, uh, that might be too much, because, like, major comedies, there might be a similar number, but it doesn't, I don't know, it seems like you just ignore those. And I mean, your audiences are so much smaller, uh, like your, what you're aiming for is so much smaller for horror movies, because you essentially have to compare it to... Like a a big, meaningful, R-rated comedy. Yeah. And R-rated comedy is very rare. Because to be a horror movie, you essentially have to be a PG-13 or an R. You can't be a scary PG movie. You cannot. You're right. And I mean, that's not even from, like, blood or guts or nudity or, any, like, or anything like that. But the, the act of being frightening and dealing with adult themes puts you into PG-13 or R. Almost by definition, so yeah. your audiences are going to be smaller anyway. It's, there's so many choices that go into making a horror film that... If you look at the ones coming out right now or, or in the future, I think there's one called The Bye-Bye Man? 
Sure. Yeah. Is that just the Babadook? No, I don't okay. know what it is. I, I I just know the title. And I gotta say, if your job is to make a, a horror movie, y- you failed already <laughs> from the title. Yeah. Bye Bye Man isn't scary. It sounds dumb or yep. funny. And that's a, that's something that horror movies struggle with as well, is that every time you have a horror movie, you have a mythology to uh, tease, create, explain, and resolve in a, in an entire movie. Because yeah. to make something that's effectively scary, you need to make something that's unique and complete. And what's weird is, like, horror movies don't really... They don't really work unless they have that weird sort of explanation in, like, we see Freddy Cougar get burned, you know? Mm-hmm. And that and then we, we realize, all right, that's that, that makes sense, and now we can be scared. Mm-hmm. Like, without that little bit of explanation, for some reason, it doesn't work cr- quite as well. I mean, I saw a movie not too long ago. It was Lights Out, I think it was called. It was about a woman who exists only in the shadows. And Darkness Falls, got it. Exactly. Uh, but no, it's it's one of these things where you'd think that maybe some amount of like believability would make it scarier, but every attempt to explain everything that happens in that movie just undercuts the fact. Oh. Like, you have to strike such a perfect balance to be a good horror movie. Kind of like magic realism where it's... it's, it's... Is it best to address why this is happening, or do you ignore it and kind of just, hey, just accept that this is happening? I mean, I think it'd be interesting to see a horror movie that effectively didn't explain itself. The closest we've gotten to that in a movie that uh, is widely regarded as good is, like, The Babadook. Yeah, The Babadook is a good one. Because The Babadook makes essentially no effort to explain what it is, and you can draw your conclusions, you know, it's postpartum depression or it's a demon. Yeah. But it doesn't go out of its way to say this is what it is or this is what it isn't. A lot of the times when the horror is not explained, it's kind of like Hush, where it's like, oh, it's just a human who's who's being a, a, a dick, mm-hmm. you know, and then we can accept that. Like, The Strangers, it's kind of like, oh, this is just happening. Mm-hmm. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, this is just a guy who went, cr- went crazy. I mean, that's that's where a lot of horror from things like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came from, because at the time, it was novel to put a movie out there and be like, no, these are just people who are acting in a way that is transgressive and awful for no particular reason. Yeah. And it's it's so hard to be a good horror movie. You know, I, I keep just pulling different examples and trying to pick them apart to find a good horror, like what makes a good horror movie. But none of them are going to have anything in common, I don't I, think. Yeah, because I was thinking of like The Witch, mm-hmm. which the thing that makes that movie work so well is the intersection of a bunch of different fears. Mm-hmm. The fear of the supernatural, mm-hmm. the fear of the wilderness, the fear of being an outsider, an outcast. All of these are interplaying at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like... It's a horror movie for sure, but it's not really horrifying until the reality of the end hits. And it's just like, oh god, this has happened more than once. This is a cycle that cannot be broken. And the the thing that The Witch does particularly well is that uh, I think its tagline was uh, a New England fairy tale, New England horror story, something like that. Yeah. Uh, because it is... It, it uses the logic of a scary story you would tell a child and that doesn't necessarily have an explanation. Bad stuff happens uh, for kind of no reason. Yeah. And it's, it's like you said, it's it's all these different fears. It makes you feel like a child watching The Witch because you feel insecure. You, you don't feel like what you're seeing is necessarily, like, real. Which, of course, what you're seeing is not real. It's a movie. But it's, you know, it, 
it combines really deftly this like fear of the supernatural, uh, fear of bodily harm with much more subtle fears like fear of judgment and fear of your family. Yeah. Which everybody has, which no one wants to talk about. Well, no one wants to admit that they're afraid of their own family. But everyone is. It's true. And that's that's why The Witch was so good. Thanks, David Eggers. I think what I want out of a horror movie the most is to have a moment where I doubt that what I'm seeing is fake. You know, I want that moment where I'm like, could this happen? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you have to portray what's happening so well that that line between fiction and reality is blurred just for that half a second. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's what makes a lot of horror movies, that's what made the Texas Chainsaw Massacre such a huge success. I mean... And things have evolved into found footage and stuff like that. But a lot of people who saw the Texas Chainsaw Massacre really honestly believed people were being killed. Yeah. Because, I don't know, people were dumb. <laughs> no, or marketing was just more unscrupulous. But the directing, too. Because isn't that the one... That's le Leatherface, right? Yeah, that's right? Leatherface. And the actor literally had to wear the smelly leather mask for so long. And, like, he, he really started to think he was going to kill people. Like, mm -hmm. according to the stories they told. Yeah. And that could just be marketing myths. Who knows? Yeah. Horror is just, like, it's 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 made of glass. Mm-hmm. It's it's really it's like comedy kind of. Yeah. The more you chase it, the more it vanishes. Pretty much. And I think that I think that kind of comedy is especially now, but maybe not in the past, it's kind of put up on a pedestal as being, you know, philosophically and like um what's the word? Like didactically important. Okay. Like, you know, comedy is a learning experience and comedy can uh, you know, bring about social change or talk about serious social issues or stuff like that. And I think that we still kind of shit on horror movies and horror movies are important. A lot of people have been studying horror movies for a long time and there's there's a trend in what movies get made and produced and released that reflect the current sort of social fears of the time. Mm -hmm. Which is great. And I mean, there was a piece I was reading not too long ago. I wish I could cite an author or a title or anything like that. Yeah. But it was talking about how horror movies of the uh, the 80s were kind of feminist pieces. That's it, nice. Because if, if you think about it, a lot of the messages in these horror movies were the threat is like very like powerful, unstoppable and male or at least masculine and it's uh, women generally who end up being the ones who are left alive. It's it's kind of turning this, like, kind of... What was in the 50s and 60s in a lot of horror movies is, you know, you have, like, a virginal lead and, like, a dude who protects her. Yeah. And then some kind of threat. Well, in horror movies in the 80s, that dude who protects her just dies. And then she turns into, like, a fully formed character. Like, if you look at um, the Halloween movies, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis becomes a fantastically strong leading female without becoming you know rote yeah she just has to do what she has to do to survive and uh i mean same can be said about like scream mm -hmm. um, you know alien alien and that's the one that always comes to mind mm -hmm. but uh uh go back to the 50s and 60s and you know it started to end around the 70s but I'll, you look at the horror movies and they kind of all play out the same way there's a deviance mm -hmm. and then they're punished yeah it was a weird reinforcement of, you have to stick to society's rules, or you will be killed by a lake monster. There was a, yeah, there, there was a certain kind of fear of pain caused by otherness, or, or like, some kind of social dalliance that was like, hey, if you smoke drugs, dead. If yeah. you drink, dead. If you have sex, 
dead. It, it's like, you know, I don't want to say the conservatives were in charge, but it, it almost seemed like if these were the movies being made, then did they have a say in like, hey, we want stuff that might scare people straight. Mm-hmm. Or was it just a, like a directorial revelry where they were like, you know, as long as we have a guy like cutting people's heads off, we might as well uh, kind of mingle that in the way the horror movies do where they're like, hey, here's violence, here's sexuality. Sometimes they get really close and it makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And they, they just decide to put a lot of that together, which, you know, then you get like Hellraiser and stuff eventually, <laughs> but... Well, I think that's more more reflected in, like, H.R. Geiger's artwork that was the inspiration for Alien, where it's just mm-hmm. like, this is just gross sex and violence yeah. mingling into this weird, grotesque version of humanity. And, I mean, some of the most uh, effective horror movies are saying, hey, uh, the part of your brain that processes seeing sex and the part of your brain that processes seeing violence, not that different. Yeah. And it... Makes you feel real gross. I mean, the part that feels pain and the part that feels pleasure is literally the same part of the brain. Yep. So, it's, I mean, there could be that too. It's, uh, maybe Hellraiser is the best horror movie ever made. But Is I... that the one with the Cenobites? Yeah. I haven't seen it. Uh, the books? Surprisingly okay. Is it spooky? Clive Barker, Maximum Spooky. Maximum Spooky? Wait, Clive Barker? Uh... John Carpenter. I don't know. John Shit. Carpenter did music and Clive Barker sounds like Bob Barker's brother. Didn't John Carpenter direct some stuff? I don't know. Before oh, we... You're right. He did do directing too. Yeah, he did like uh, Night Savior. God, I don't know. Before we veer too much, too much. Too well, much. Sorry, I was spooky for a second. Before we veer too much into pure zero credits territory and don't know what we're talking about at all. Yeah? That might be a good spooky place to end this. I think that's absolutely frightening. Oh! But before we go... Before... Before we go... Before we go... Final costume changes. Alright, so I think the the easiest thing for us to do is describe the other person's costume to you, the listener. Oh, oh, okay. The... So, so I'll start with you. Alright. Um, I, I like your dedication. I'm not sure how I feel about it, but your choice to be a ghost as seen from a third-person omniscient narrator's point of view is daring, but a little hard to look at. Yeah, I, I mean, it's basically just a bunch of mirrors. Yeah, and also I can hear your thoughts. Well, that's because I have a loudspeaker taped to my ear. Oh, that's... <laughs> and it's just... My thoughts are leaking out of the loudspeaker. Very spooky. The yeah. easiest form of writing. No first person would be. Well, let's not talk about easy forms of writing. No, we're too deep into this. And uh, your, your uh, choice to be a pumpkin carving of Albert Einstein flipping off the liberal media? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that it's difficult to portray the liberal media on the space of a pumpkin, even if it's a pumpkin the size of me. I know that's difficult, yep. but I did just write liberal media. Yeah, and it's it has a mustache. Yeah, and he's flipping it off. And I think that's... It's really emblematic of our times. I, I really think that captures something. I think, I think for my most uh, innovative costume... I think it's really bringing something new to the medium. It really looks realistic. Is that is that actual pumpkin? It's pumpkin material. Oh, okay. And listener, guess what you get to dress up as for this send-off? You get to dress up as... Someone who uses our social media. Oh, and that's the spookiest costume of all. You get all the social media candy. Yeah, we're downright spooked. 
if you wanna wanna drop us a, a cow tail or a Mary Jane or some candy corn or a circus peanut into our uh, trick or treat bag called the inbox of our Gmail account, you can do so at zero credits is a podcast at gmail.com. It's kind of funny because they're called email addresses and you just used a bunch of trick-or-treating stuff it's like our email address is a house oh it's great yeah we'll also give you a treat and then we'll read your email or is it a trick and we'll read your email still Ooh, trick email or if you want good candy (laughs) oh wait i can only eat candy if it's 140 pieces or less Uh, fuck off nerds If you want, like, the Hershey bar of Facebook. Oh. We have a Facebook. Oh. Search for hearty action. What? Nope, not that. Got my wires crossed. Search for Zero Credits Podcast and your Facebook search bar, and we'll pop up with a ghost. Oh. Hit that motherfucking sad react for some candy. Hit that like button. Hit that rate button. Hit that subscribe on Facebook. It's not a thing. Also, uh, okay, so have you ever heard of, uh, the, what is it? The prosperity, uh, doctrine. The idea that, uh, you can, you can preach certain religious ideals and the ideas that will bring prosperity to people now i will preach my prosperity doctrine to you the listeners for every star that you rate us on facebook out of five it will multiply the amount of candy you receive this trick-or-treating eve or the amount of alcohol you are able to consume before ultimately passing out at your next possible Halloween party. That's That sounds like a good prosperity doctrine to preach. Which means, if you like us once, double. If you like us twice, uh, quadruple. <laughs> right. Onward and upwards. The math checks out. And then I think if you rate us five times, that you're 25 times more candy or alcohol. That's great. Poor livers. <laughs> What's the last way they can get in contact with us, Henry? On our Twitter that I haven't checked since we launched the Facebook. Whoops. So, on our Twitter at ZCPCWHJ, that stands for Zero Credits Podcast Werewolf Hand... <laughs> that was going to turn into Werewolf Hand Job. Well, that's what it stands for. Werewolf Hand Job. Zero Credits Podcast, Werewolf Hand Job. And the spooky thing is people still use Twitter. It's so spooky. It's so frightening. You thought it was just for brands. It turns out it's for Werewolf Hand Jobs. Accurate. Okay. Well, I guess uh, we'll see you next time. Same time. Same year. Same spooky channel. Happy Spookoween. Man, one day it's going to be a different year. 2017, the spookiest year. Yeah, I meant to say, like, same time of year. <laughs> because oh. I thought you were referring just to Halloween, but you oh. meant us, our podcast. We'll be back next week. So our spooktacular episode will return next October, late. Next late October, and everything will be different. Hey, you know what's really scary? What's up? Episode 27.
Bye.